right, good morning, everyone. Open your Bibles with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. I guess it's been over the past four or five weeks or so, we have been uh, on the topic of prayer. Last week, we finished going word for word through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, as we carefully considered each section and then applied the prayer to our daily lives. It really is, in my estimation, a miraculous masterpiece as it really encompasses every ingredient needed to uh, rightly glorify God as he meets our daily needs through a, a prayerful dependence upon him. But today I want to share with you some additional thoughts on prayer that we didn't have a chance to get to over the last several weeks. So we got one more week here, and of course we have the uh, Bible study every Sunday morning that will be continuing all through the summer on prayer. So if you need to grow in your prayer life or, or want to share uh, about your walk in uh, the Lord in uh, prayer, um, I would encourage you to attend that study. So we have uh, one more week here, and then we're going to return to the Gospel of John. But today's lesson is going to be sent around uh, the abundance of power that we possess as disciples of Jesus Christ. The abundance of power. Now, before we get into the text today, I want to share with you a quick story about a woman named Hetty Green. Hetty Green. Anyone heard of Hetty Green before? Yeah, we got a couple of Hetty Greens. Um, if you haven't heard of her before, Hetty Green was an American businesswoman who um, died in 1916, and for many years she was known as the richest woman in the United States. However, she was often referred to as America's greatest miser. Uh, when she died in 1916, uh, she left behind an estate of $100 million. Um, just an incredible amount of money, especially during that time. Um, but just to give you an example about how miserly Hetty was with all of her wealth, she would actually eat her oatmeal cold in order to save the expense of heating the water. Okay? That's pinching some pennies. But if that wasn't stingy enough, it was said that when her son suffered a leg injury, she reportedly took so long looking for a free clinic to treat him that her son ended up needing a leg amputation because the infection had spread up his leg. It has even been said that she hastened her own death by bringing on a stroke while arguing over the merits of skin milk because it was cheaper than whole milk. All this to say, Hetty had all the wealth in the world, but she lived as though she was broke. The book of Ephesians is written to Christians who might be prone to treat their own spiritual resources uh, much like Hattie Green treated her financial resources. That although you have been redeemed in Christ, you may be in danger of suffering from spiritual malnutrition. So to be sure that is not the case for us today, I want us to look at a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the churches in Ephesus as he focuses on the sufficiency that we have in Jesus Christ and the resources we have available to us. Now um, as I was studying this I couldn't help but think about what the apostle Peter also wrote to the churches that he ministered to in Asia Minor modern-day Turkey. 
He says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who are called us by glory and who called us by glory and virtue for by these he has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers look at this of the divine nature wow so here we see Peter reminding these Christians, hey, uh, don't forget about Christ's divine power, <laughs> which has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, we possess everything necessary, everything necessary for the fulfillment of all aspects of our spiritual life. And all of those resources are contained within the life of the believer through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, if you recall back, I don't know, six, seven, eight weeks ago when Pastor Rick um, took us through Ephesians chapter 1, um, Paul opens this incredibly rich book with such a power-packed punch of revelation that if you read it and applied it each day, I'm convinced that even the sleepiest believer would jump right out of his pew and into the action. For example, if you forgot, Paul tells us that in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. We have forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He has predestined us, adopted us as sons and daughters according to the good pleasure of his will. We are forever his possessions, sealed with the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. We are protected by divine love, sustained by divine care, and energized by divine power. We have all become priests and kings. We are the possessors, Paul says, of the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Wow. The great and almighty God of the universe has set his affection upon us. And then he has given us his redeeming love in Christ. He has drawn us into his own family and poured out the riches of his grace. We are rich beyond imagination. Our resources are limitless. We are more than conquerors. We have abundant life in Christ now and in eternity he will only bring us before even more fulfilling life in an utterly uncomprehensible amount of riches from the goodness of our god so in ephesians 1 paul prayed that we would understand that <laughs> in chapter 3 he prays we would apply that if chapter 1 is a prayer for enlightenment then chapter 3 is a prayer for enablement Paul prayed in verse 17 of chapter 1 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him and that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling 
and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. In other words, <laughs> that we might come to a realization of our riches in Christ. As we look around at the spiritual health of the church today, I think there's some big areas of concern. I think that the church probably needs its own revival. As we are far too often woefully ignorant about the resources that we have available to us in Christ. So we need to understand that and then we need to apply it. So in chapter 1, the prayer is for knowledge. In chapter 2, it is for application. We first need to know who we are in Christ before we can apply his promises. Now Paul knew this firsthand. Remember in Philippians chapter 3 where he said, Indeed, I count all things as loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I am suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. I love that. For Paul, it was all about gaining Christ. It was that communion with Christ. That's why Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is Christ that I pursue, he says. And there isn't a more important call that could be given to Christians today than that one. Pursue Christ. Pursue Christ. Seek to know Christ more fully. And be enlightened about your resources, understanding what we have in Jesus. It is Christ who has given you life. And he has given you every single thing that you need. For as Peter said, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Before I was in Christ, life was nothing more than a bunch of random, meaningless events. Some highs, some low, but in the end, meaningless. Paul said, everything I've achieved in life, I counted all as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. So whether Paul was in prison or he was out planting churches, whether he was being persecuted or the joys of seeing salvation, his life had been made complete, not lacking in anything. So that's Paul's heart as we now come to chapter 3 in this prayer. Um, now before we start this prayer for the church, let me give you at this point sort of one key thought and then um, I just want to read two more verses and we'll actually get into the prayer. Um, our first key thought for today uh, is this. Number one, as a son or daughter of the king, you need to know this, that God has deposited his power in us. God has deposited his power in us that's a pretty big statement but when you understand this about prayer you will become a person of prayer and why we keep praying um, now before we read ephesians 3 i want you to just listen to, to two more verses very quickly luke chapter 24 verse 49 jesus said to his disciples behold i send the promise speaking of the spirit of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Until you receive power from on high. Acts chapter 1, 
verse 8. Again, these are the words of our Lord right before he ascends into heaven. It says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. Now, let me ask you this. Are we all in agreement that when the Spirit of God comes upon the believer, does God's power reside in us? Yes, right? It does. It is the Spirit of an all-powerful God. All right, so that's our foundation. That's the foundation that we're working from. So now let's look at Paul's prayer for the believers in Ephesus and see if it jives with what he is saying to the later church. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, we'll start in verse 14. Now, this is 30 years after Christ's ascension to the right hand of the Father. Paul right now is praying this prayer while he's under house arrest in Rome. And when you look at the prayers he prays in all of his letters, you're going to notice he prayed sort of a, a similar way over and over again. What he would do is he would say, I pray, and then he would say what he was praying for. I pray, blank, so that... And then he gives a reason as to why he is praying. I pray for this so that this will happen. He prays specific faith-filled prayers. So look at verse 14. He said, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, we already talked about this back in week one of our study when we did the Lord's Prayer. Uh, when you pray, you can pray in any posture that you feel comfortable in praying in. You can pray uh, standing, you can pray sitting, you can pray kneeling. What's interesting is for a Jewish man, the most normal way to pray in Paul's era was to pray standing with palms lifted up towards heaven. But in this particular case, Paul has decided to kneel before God in prayer. And I would encourage you just to vary in your postures based upon your heart's cry. When I kneel before God, there's something in me that just says, God, I am giving you due reverence um, in my submission to your perfect will. I'm low. I'm acknowledging my weaknesses, and I'm acknowledging your strength. I come to you kneeling. For me, kneeling is just a great way to, to do this. It also helps me to focus. Um, so if you haven't before, you might want to try kneeling this week as you're praying. Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before my father. In verse 16, he says, I pray that out of God's what? That out of his glorious riches. Come on, church, help me out. Out of his glorious riches. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. I'm preaching here. Uh, let's stop there for a moment. I think we need to. Out of his glorious riches. <laughs> oh, boy. We need to plug in. Uh, Paul is praying. He is recognizing that his heavenly father has every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms available to his children. I am praying to a glorious rich God. Glorious rich. In fact, earlier in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, uh, Paul had said, uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Notice, he has blessed us. Paul is praying, God has already made available to us 
according to his perfect will, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. This is the God that we pray to. I pray that out of his glorious riches, Paul said in Philippians 4, 19, that my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We serve an infinitely spiritually rich heavenly father, and yet so many of us are living like spiritually impoverished children. We serve a God who has every spiritual blessing available to us, and it's so often when we pray small and general prayers. Beloved, don't you see what God's made available to us? We need to be a people who pray specific, big, faith-filled, God-honoring prayers. These were the prayers that the early church prayed. Now notice what Paul says next. I don't know how I... I'll go back here. There we go. Notice what Paul prays next. He said, verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with what? Power. <laughs> Let's do that again. That he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being or your inner self. That Greek word translated as power is the word dunamis. It comes from the Greek word uh, duname. Uh, it's used 120 times in the New Testament. It is where we get our word dynamite from. It means the explosive, miraculous power of God. It's not human power. It's divine power. I pray that he may strengthen you with duname, with supernatural power. And I don't know about you, but I desperately need the power of God's spirit in every part of my life. I need the power of God's spirit in my preaching. I need the power of God's spirit in my parenting. I need the power of God's spirit in overcoming temptation. I need the power of God's spirit to stand strong against spiritual opposition. I need more than I have in the physical realm. I need the supernatural power of God. So Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches... That my God would strengthen you with dunamis, with power. Now, why did he pray that? In verse 17, Paul gives us the reason. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Huh. So, what he's saying is this. As you are being strengthened through the power of his spirit in your inner being, then Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Another way to say is a strong inner man is the result of Christ dwelling in your heart by faith. Because you might be sitting there thinking, wait a minute, how could I have a strong inner man or inner being if Christ didn't dwell in my heart by faith already? <laughs> That's a good question. But he's not talking here about salvation. I think you have to take a closer look at that verb dwell. It's kato akeo. It's an intense verb. It's actually two words uh, together. Okeo means to live in a house. And kata intensifies it. It means to really settle down and to be at home. So I think what this text is saying is it's not a question of whether Christ is in your life. It's a question of whether he's comfortable, whether he's at home there. And you know the difference between being in a house and being at home. All right? 
You can be dwelling in a lot of places and not be at home there. And I mean, obviously, we're all in the process of, of, of sanctification and growth, but um, when I come home to a house that's in constant chaos and turmoil, where you have major spiritual battles and issues going on all of the time, and that inner self is constantly being worn down, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Our home should be a place we return to and find rest and nourishment. I'm coming home from the battle to a place of rest. I'm not coming home from the battle to another one. <laughs> I don't need that. And so that's the heart of what it means to dwell. To dwell. That as children of God we have so yielded ourselves to the power of God's spirit expressed through the word of God that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The question we could ask is, is Jesus uh, comfortable in your heart? Is Jesus comfortable? Is is he at home there? Does Christ dwell in your heart? Notice how Paul finishes verse 17. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Man, if I want my roots planted in anything, it's in the love of my Savior, Jesus Christ. That you, being rooted and established in love, that you may have what? That you may have power, right? You may have power (laughs) together with all the Lord's holy people, To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Now, why do we need power to know how much Christ loves you? Because you need to know that this love surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. If any of you ever sort of look on at others and think, Now, why do they have something that I don't have spiritually? Um, Why is it they have a a certain amount of peace as they're going through this difficulty that I don't have? Why is it they seem to have an assurance that I don't have? Why do they seem to have something that I don't have? The answer might be because they have something that you don't have. (laughs) They have all that God has made available to them. And this comes from a supernatural understanding of the love of God. This is what's crazy. We cannot naturally understand the love of God. We can't. Uh, It must be supernaturally revealed. Our finite minds do not have the capacity on our own to comprehend just how much God loves us. That's why parents, one of the most important prayers that you can pray for your children is that God would give them the power to understand how much he loves them. Suddenly, when their approval comes from God, then they don't need approval from other people. They're not sucked into the temptations of the world, but they stand strong out of the approval of the love of God. And that's why spouses, one of the best things that you can pray for, for your spouse is that he or she would have the power to understand just how much God loves them. That they would be supernaturally drawn into a loving relationship with Christ 
and be totally transformed. It's not something that's naturally understood. It has to be supernaturally revealed to us. And that's why anytime I try to talk about the love of God, I fail miserably. Uh, with God, love is not just what he does. Love is who he is. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That, my friends, is love. That is supernaturally imposed love. So, when you recognize that who he is and then you stand in the strength of there's nothing I can do to cause him to love me more and there's nothing I can do to cause him to love me less. He doesn't love me because of what I do. <laughs> he loves me because of who he is. And when the sacrificial love of Christ overtakes me, suddenly Christianity isn't something I do on Sunday. It's the essence of who I'm called to be. So Paul says, I pray, oh, I pray, I'm on my knees, that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. The natural world cannot understand this great love that Christ gives because it cannot understand Christ. Worldly love is mostly based on attraction and therefore lasts only as long as the attraction lasts. However, Christ's love is based on his own nature, therefore it lasts forever. Worldly love loves for what it can get while Christ's love loves for what it can give. Paul's prayer to the believers in Ephesus that you being rooted and established in love may have power, may have power to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power. So that's point number one. God has deposited his power in us. And so if we believe that to be true, that God has deposited his power in us by his spirit, then I think point number two needs to happen in the life of every believer. Point number two, we must release his power through prayer. We must release his power through prayer. We don't just sit on this power, we release it. And one of the ways that we do that is through prayer. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. It says, now to him, speaking of, of God here, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Now notice the rest. According to his power that is at work within us. Huh. Isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit structured this verse? I want you to just meditate on this one for a second. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably, or, or your translation might be exceedingly and abundantly, exceedingly more than all that we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. The Spirit could have left out immeasurably and more than, 
and it would have meant the same thing. Now to him who is able to do all that we ask or imagine, all that we ask or think. Because what is all? All is all, right? <laughs> now to him who is able to do all. But apparently the Holy Spirit didn't think that quite described that God had adequately. So he puts the word immeasurably in front of the word all. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably, and that wasn't enough, so he added more than, so now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all <laughs> we ask or think. Pretty amazing verse when you think about it, yeah? Now let me ask you something. Do you believe that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine? Then why doesn't he? I mean, in my own life. Why doesn't he? In this situation I'm going through right now, in my marriage, in my job, in my kid's life, if God is able, he's able, right? Then why doesn't he? The last phrase in verse 20 tells us, according to his power that is at work within us. That word according in the Greek, uh, kata, it can be translated a lot of ways in proportion to, according to, as it's translated, or by way of. It can mean to measure out or to distribute. So let me ask you this. In your prayer life, how much of God's power are you measuring out to your family, to your church, to your ministry? How much of God's power are you distributing to the situation that you need God to work in right now? I mean, we all know God's going to do whatever he's going to do, with or without me. But I guess my question is, is God's power at work within you? Could God's unlimited power, and I'm saying this very carefully, be limited, in a sense, by my prayers? God has all power. But his unlimited power, is it possible it's being limited in my life by the lack of my prayers? I want you to read a section of scripture we studied not that long ago. Turn with me to John chapter 7, verse 37, please. John chapter 7, verse 37. And um, I want to use the analogy that that Jesus uses. As he uses the analogy of the river. And um, I want you to think about how, how wide your river is. Is it a gushing river or is it just kind of a babbling, trickling brook? John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, it says, On the last day, the great day of the feast. Now remember, this was the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John adds, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, remember, we read in Acts 1, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive what? Power. Jesus stands up right at the height of this celebration. And he cried out saying, if anyone 
is thirsty. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So what is the Holy Spirit going to do? He's going to flow out of your heart. So I have a very simple question for you. How much power, the Holy Spirit is power, how much power is flowing out of you? If you believe in God has deposited his Holy Spirit in you, and we know that we just read you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, how much of God's power then is flowing out of you? Is it rivers? Or is it streams and trickles and brooks? Is it dried up? Is it possible that you have your hand on the faucet of God's power in your life? You know, many of us have more faith in a hot water faucet than we do in prayer. We were just having a little challenge this morning with our hot water. And Katie turned on the, the water and she stood there and she waited and waited and waited because she knew it was coming. It was going to come eventually. And so here's what we do with prayer. We turn the faucet of prayer on. We feel the water and it's cold. And then we just turn the faucet off. We stop praying. Instead of knowing if I leave this faucet on, it may feel cold, but it's going to get hot. It's going to get hot if I leave this faucet on. Think about it. Elijah prayed seven times something God already said that he was going to do. Bring the rain. Seven times. Go back and look. Go back and look. Go back and look. God already said it was going to rain, but he prayed seven times, releasing the power as he fulfilled the word of God. What about Daniel? Why did Daniel pray for 21 days? Let me refresh your memory. It's been a while. We went through the book of Daniel quite a ways back. Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 through 3. It says, uh, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth. Nor did I anoint myself at all till three weeks, three whole weeks were fulfilled. One hungry, stinky dude. Stinketh. Verse 12, then he, this is the angel that came to, to minister and to visit Daniel. Then he, he said to me, do not fear, Daniel. Look at this. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words, or we could say your prayers, were heard. And I have come because of your words, because of your prayers. Verse 13. But the prince of the king of Persia withstood me for 21 days, three weeks. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, angels, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Okay, notice what he said there in verse 12. The first day you prayed, I left heaven with your answer. I left heaven with your answer, but there's a war in the, in the heavenlies. There's a war going on. But because you kept praying, I was able to get through. We know that there's a war in the heavenly places. There's principalities and rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts and wickedness, the Bible says. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We know that. We do spiritual work with spiritual weapons. 
So we pray, we release the power of God because God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that has worked within us. But I want you to understand something. The answer to Daniel's prayer was sent the first day he prayed. What if Daniel had stopped praying after, I don't know, 17 days or 20, 20 days? I don't know what would happen. But I wonder how many times we've stopped praying. Think about it in this way. How much of the work of salvation has Jesus accomplished? All of it, right? All of it. Now, it may not be done in, in your personal life because you haven't received yet, but everything that God needs to do, it's, it's already been done. Jesus never has to die on the cross again. He said, it is finished. It's done, complete. Now, I'm just wondering, but, you know, maybe what you've been praying about, has it already been done in the heavenlies, but we need to move it from heaven down to earth? Remember what Ephesians chapter 1 said. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, past tense, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. According to this verse, how many spiritual blessings have you been blessed with? All of them. He says he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. The work has already been done, but it depends on, in some sense, how we're going to respond to what God has already so richly provided. Now, that's all according to God's timing and his perfect will, of course. But he has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I want to show you quickly how else God equips us in prayers. Because not only are we strengthened with, with power, with dunamis, but we serve an infinitely rich God who also intercedes on our behalf. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 34. This section will be short here. I just want to show you something in, in Scripture. Um, I want to show you that Jesus is interceding in our prayers. That Jesus also intercedes in our prayers. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is he who condemns? In other words, who can condemn us? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So notice Christ is at the right hand of God and he's making intercession for us. Stay in Romans chapter 8. We're going to come back there in just a moment. I want to read to um, just a verse here in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. It says, therefore, he, speaking of Jesus, is also able to save to the uttermost. And aren't you glad I needed saving to the uttermost? <laughs> is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Okay. So those two verses are very clear. Christ is at the right hand of the Father, and he always lives to make intercession for us. Now, what is intercession? Uh, intercession is usually described as a prayer. Now, you can pray a prayer of intercession, but intercession itself is probably not best described as a prayer. It is an action. It is an activity. Let me give you an example. Faith is not a prayer, but you can pray a prayer, a prayer of faith. <laughs> Faith is an action. James says, if your faith is not active, it's not working, 
then it's not even faith, it's dead. So intercession is not so much a prayer, but you can prayer, pray a prayer of intercession. Intercession is the act of bringing two parties together. In fact, it's what Jesus did when he brought us and the Father together. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm going to build a bridge between a holy God and a sinful man. We couldn't have a relationship with God unless Christ interceded. And in Jesus' atonement on the cross, he in essence has built that bridge for us. He paved the road. He made the way come together. Now, let me give you an English word that will actually help you in that word intercession. There's an English word that sounds very familiar, or similar I should say, and it's a very good metaphor for the word. Can you think of it? Intersection. Intersection. What is an intersection? It's where two or four roads come and meet. Intersection. This is what intercession is. And again, we can pray a prayer of intercession. And here's what happened. When we pray a prayer of intercession, our prayers are on the same road, going the same way as someone else's. And that's what Jesus is doing for us. He is interceding, he said, on our behalf. He always lives to make intercession for them. Listen, when man couldn't reach God, God reached us through Jesus Christ. And this is what that word intercession means. Jesus has built a bridge. He's paved a way. Listen to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 16. It says, he saw that there was no man. This is talking about Christ. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. No, no one to to build a bridge between God and man. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness is sustained him. It sustained him. Of course, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12, a great uh, messianic chapter, Isaiah 53, looking ahead to Christ. He says at the end there in verse 12, Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, he died on the cross, and he was numbered with the transgressors, that's the two thieves he was crucified with, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And we are the transgressors. He made a bridge for the transgressors to be able to walk across, to be cleansed, to be able to be in a right relationship with a holy and just God. There was a chasm between God that only Jesus could span. And he did that for those he has so called. So, number one, Jesus is interceding. But not only Jesus. Number two, the Holy Spirit is also interceding for us. Now, look back at Romans chapter 8 there in verses uh, 26 and 27. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. Weaknesses. And I want you to notice that word there, help. We're going to come back to that in a second. The Spirit also helps. Now watch this carefully. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. <laughs> Let me just repeat this again. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. So if we don't know how we are going to pray for God's will, listen. We do not know what we, pray, what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession. 
He makes the bridge for us. He makes the connection for us. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. See, the Holy Spirit knows the will of God. Okay? So when we pray, the Holy Spirit helps us to make that connection between our will and God's will. Only God perfectly knows his will. But we can come into his promises, be led by his spirit to come to that place where we actually pray prayers according to the will of God. Now, that word helps that I mentioned, helps, this is a Greek word that means to take interest in a thing along with others to assist jointly, to perform some task, cooperate with, take my share in to help and to aid. It's when two or more parties uh, mutually bear a burden helps and this is what it says the holy spirit does here i want you to know that the holy spirit wants to help you carry your burdens to god and that's certainly one element of prayer we are transferring a, a burden when we seek the refuge of a glorious and rich god and 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 we have a burden whether it be um our health or, or something in our family or or we're struggling with sin and we go to god and we give him that burden we go to god we take it to God. We cast our cares on him because he cares for us. And let me just say, when we cast our cares on him, we leave that burden with him. We trust God with that burden. We turn it over to him. We, we don't come out of that room still carrying that same burden the same way. Or you didn't just pray, you just griped. <laughs> First Peter says therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time casting your care upon him for he cares for you he cares for you aren't you happy that God cares for you so Jesus is interceding the Holy Spirit is interceding and then we'll close with number three we are to be interceding according to scripture we're to be building these bridges between God and the people that we pray for 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, notice intercessions is listed differently than prayers. Prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Now since Jesus has done the work of intercession in our life, and he's deposited his power in us, and Jesus is still interceding on our behalf, and the Holy Spirit is interceding in our prayers, we can now also intercede. We can now be a part of that chain and prayerfully build a bridge from heaven to earth, from God to the person that we're praying for. Paul told Timothy, I exhort you, first of all, supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men. Now let me give you an example. Let's just say that you have a grown-up child and he's not walking with the Lord. And I'm going to say his name is Nick. Here's how you intercede for Nick. And again, it doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out prayer. It can be, but, but it doesn't have to be. Your father already knows the things you need before you ask him. But here's how you intercede for Nick. First, you gather in agreement with your petition. One mind and one spirit. That's family, friends, your church family whoever it is then you take hold of god 
you take hold of God, you recognize him in his rightful place, and you grab hold of him. When the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, as we just went through the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, the first thing that you do is you honor God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy and lifted up is my God, sovereign and reigning and supreme over all of heaven and earth. I'm praying to that guy. And you thank God that he made a bridge for you. Oh, Lord, Lord, I, I, I thank you that you've saved me through your amazing grace. The blood of the lamb, the righteous for the unrighteous. That you gave me the faith, Lord, that I believe in you. And, and I thank you, God, that you are an all-powerful God. I thank you, God, that you are rich in mercy. And I praise you, Lord. How great thou art. And you take hold of God and then you take hold of Nick. And you say, Lord, I'm bringing you Nick today. Nick might be with you. Nick might not be with you. But you're bringing Nick into the chain. Lord, I ask you to build a, a, a hedge of your word around him. I'm asking you to take away every evil influence that is, is around him. I ask you to replace those evils with, with uh, godly influences. Friends that, that, that love you, they'll, they'll bring Nick to you. God, give him a new heart. Make him new the way that only you can do. And you've got God in this hand, and you've got Nick in this hand. And the more that you pray, you say, God, I'm bringing Nick to you. And I'm asking for this miracle in Nick's life. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to come upon him with power and to convict him. Lord, bring him to me. Bring uh, Nick to his knees so he recognizes you are his Lord. You are Savior. And you just continue to pray. And you bring God and you bring Nick together until there is an intersection. When Nick runs into the arms of the Lord. My brothers and sisters, that is possible by your prayers. I know this because my parents prayed a version of that for me. 25 years they did spiritual battle on my behalf. 25 years. Let me remind you, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or imagine, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If you need the prayers of the church today, or Lord's pulled those heartstrings in your heart he's spoken to you we'd love to talk with you celebrate with you pray with you or if you're more comfortable after at the potluck there'll be men and women down front here that's available to you but will you please stand as we sing the song of invitation thank you <laughs>